Welcome to the busy Latter-day Saint, where righteous desires and living life come together. Here, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints discuss their challenges and successes in studying the scriptures. I'm your host, Richard Bernard. The music for this program is by Marvin Goldstein and used with his permission. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I encourage you to leave a comment regarding this episode or the podcast in general. You can do that by clicking on the link in the show notes. Today we hear from John Casnett, husband and father of seven children, who along with his wife have recently become empty nesters. John grew up in Wyoming and after serving a mission and some time in the Marines became an attorney. John and his wife live in Sacramento. John received a prompting to study the book of Revelation shortly after becoming a stake president in 2009. He moved forward with that prompting and is close to finishing a book on the subject. John shares with us some of his insights he has gained in his study of the book of Revelation. And now, here is John. Well, John, welcome. How are you doing this Saturday morning? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Very good. Now, John, I know nothing about you. You were referred to me by Sister Dupre. And um, uh, so we're going to start here with a little introduction from you. Uh, First of all, I do understand you're in California. Where in California do do you reside? I'm in Sacramento. Okay. And I understand that uh, you're a lawyer. Uh, Yes, I am, but don't hold it against me. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, now, are you still practicing law or are you retired? I'm trying to retire, but currently, yes, I'm still practicing. I'm a civil litigator. Okay, a civil litigator. Now, um, I I was thinking of you this morning, and uh, my best friend, he passed away this last year. Uh, He was an attorney, a corporate attorney, and... um, um, he and I used to I used to tease him a little bit about the Book of Mormon and Zizram, <laughs> and uh, I'm sure you've heard all the attorney jokes, and he used to share them with me. But um, uh, law is an interesting thing. I, as a young boy, wanted to be an attorney, and uh, gradually I fell away from that and went into music and and getting a degree in that. But Law has always fascinated me. What is it that brought you into the legal profession? Well, you know, I I grew up on a ranch in Wyoming and always thought that I was going to be a veterinarian. And uh, probably my first thoughts of doing something more in the nature of law came on my mission uh, when I started working in the mission office and I realized that a desk job was a lot better than being outside in the cold with a bunch of cows and horses. <laughs> yeah, but, so the, that, but the, it, it was nothing altruistic about my motives. It was uh, purely <laughs> self-comfort. <laughs> yeah, but the, the, the cows and the horses don't talk back to you. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's certainly true. But uh, that's kind of where I had my first thoughts. So when I went to uh, school, my uh, goal was to get a degree that was kind of a technical degree and then uh, try and apply um, science with uh, the law a little bit. Okay, so what did you get your uh, bachelor's in? Um, It was in industrial management, which is kind of a combination of an engineering and business degree. Okay, because uh, a lot of lawyers I know, they, they take um, either history or political science. 
Yeah, they they do. Uh, but uh, I mean, the reality of it is, if you uh, are going to be an attorney, uh, you really need to have some technical expertise in some of the areas where you're representing your clients in. And a lot of times, the you know, assuming you're not going into a legislature or something, the political science uh, kind of background isn't as helpful as something with economics, finance, marketing, uh, technical degrees, things like that. So that was just my philosophy. Others might differ on that. Okay. And so um, you've been practicing law in California your whole time or in other states? Uh, well, yes and no. Um, I uh, got my degree from uh, UC Davis in 1987. I then went into the uh, United States Marine Corps and practiced as a judge advocate on active duty for about three years. And after I got out of the uh, Marine Corps, uh, I then went into civil litigation starting in 1991 and had my own firm since 1995. Now, have you always been a member of the church? Yes. Okay, so you grew up in the gospel. Um, how did you survive at uh, Davis, uh, that liberal campus? <laughs> well, it, yeah, you're right. It is. It, they, the politics drove us a little bit crazy, but uh, it's a nice little town. And, uh, you know, I ended up um, settling here in Sacramento just because we like this area so much and the, the weather and uh, the ability to garden and stuff like that. So although the politics were a little bit crazy, I, I really did like the city of Davis. So you don't like the uh, Wyoming snow? <laughs> no, my wife every now she's from Wyoming also, and every now and then she talks about uh, someday moving back, And but she only visits in the summertime, I remind her consistently. So yeah, I can get away without the uh, Wyoming winters that last about <laughs> nine months and some change. Well, I live here in Utah, and of course I lived most of my life in California, um, but I tease my wife quite often. I said, I I'm ready to move to Wyoming. Uh, no traffic, just cows. <laughs> yeah. And it's a beautiful area. It is, yeah. It's a yeah, pretty state. It, it's very beautiful. Well, now, um, you were on a mission. Where did you serve a mission? I was in uh, the Netherlands from 1978 through 1980. Wow. Uh, that's a rough language to learn. Well, you know, they say that, but I always considered myself fortunate that I didn't have to learn Chinese or uh, something else oh. <laughs> with strange characters. Okay, so you served a mission there, and um, at what point did you get married? After your mission, obviously. Right. Uh, so I had been home from my mission uh, about four years, um, and then uh, I met my wife, Jan. We had actually known each other for a while, but I met my wife, Jan, at the University of Wyoming. Oh, okay. And how many children do you have? We have seven kids. Seven. Wow. And uh, any still at home? Uh, no, we're uh, we just uh, kicked the last one out uh, last uh, July when he went on his mission. He got called to the uh, uh, Samoa Apia mission, uh, but because of COVID, ended up getting uh, temporarily assigned in. Uh, uh, Vancouver, Washington, and so we still have our prayers going that eventually Samoa will open up and he'll get to go to the place where he's called. Yeah, that's been hard on the missionaries, uh, definitely has been hard on them. Well, how does it feel to be an empty nester? 
Well, it's a little bit uh, different. Uh, you know, it takes a little bit of adjusting and getting used to, but uh, uh, I find myself with a lot more time on my hands. <laughs> well, with seven children and they're all gone, I would assume so. Now, any grandchildren? Yes, we have uh, eight grandkids. Okay, and I assume that'll keep growing. Yeah, I just have to still work on getting some of my others married so we can keep uh, moving to the next generation. Well, how many daughters and sons did you end up with here? So I've got four daughters and three sons. Okay. Well, now, um, I have also been told, well, in fact, you and I talked on the phone uh, a few days ago. Uh, you've been writing a book for some time. I'd like to talk about that if you can kind of just sum it up what the objective of the book is all right so yeah it's been a lengthy process so um back in 2009 um i remember the date because that's i was called to be a stake president out here in uh, sacramento and shortly after my call uh i had i received kind of some promptings to start a study of the book of Revelation. Now, I've always been a student of the scriptures, and I've studied many different things and, and topics and things, but um, I actually, after uh, my call, just had the impression you need to start looking at this, and so that's really when I began the process of uh, studying and understanding the book of Revelation, and uh, ever since then, that's what I've been working on. The, the ultimate goal is to uh, uh, publish uh, a series of books that will address the um, the book of Revelation. So it's kind of a uh, a verse by verse kind of commentary, but it's also a, a doctrinal uh, discussion about the doctrines of the book of Revelation. So it's it's very very comprehensive. I take a little bit of a different approach than uh, a lot of people is. <clears throat> I've endeavored to look at anything and everything that anyone has ever said on the topic of the uh, the book of Revelation. And uh, so I, I look for these sources, and then I write doctrinal statements in the form of a narrative that follows the outline of the book of Revelation, but then it's very heavily uh, annotated with endnotes where I actually quote what other people have said about a particular verse so that the the volume is just continued to grow and grow not because i've written so much um, but because i incorporate anything and everything of note that others have written on a particular subject well the book of revelations um, you mentioned that in a sunday school class and their eyes glaze over um, because for most members of the church, and I think most people, it's a very difficult book, but that's not what Joseph Smith said. <laughs> yeah, he said it was the plainest book ever written. Yes. And, uh, you know, I've been studying it for 10 years now, and uh, I actually concur. It, it really is. It, but you you got to put in the, uh, the elbow grease and uh, put in the time and energy to study it, and then you can come to the same conclusion. Well, now, you've been doing it for quite a few years, uh, at at this point in time, what what is it you've you've learned by doing this? Wow, um, yeah, I mean, there's two answers to that question. 
One is there are specific things that I have learned about specific things that, you know, uh, in the past were, were kind of veiled and uh, not clearly understood. And, and each new page and each new day of study brings a new understanding of things of the apocalypse that truly have, for me, become unveiled. Um, so there's there's that sense in of, of what I have learned, and so you know what, if you ask me a specific question about uh, what does the the six 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 what's the beast what is that all about you know I've learned that I know what that is, and so in that sense I've learned things, but I think perhaps your question is a little bit more broad in the sense of what what's the ultimate takeaway um, that I have from my reading and reviewing of the uh, the book of revelation and ultimately the book of revelation is an unveiling of Jesus Christ that's that's the thing that is paramount uh, above everything else that it unveils him not just um, in the sense of the second coming but John of course goes all the way back to the very beginning in the premortal existence and the war in heaven and it's an unveiling about Jesus Christ then um, on a panoramic scale from the very earliest beginning to the very latest of his accomplishment of finishing his work and delivering the kingdom up to the Father so that's kind of the the very broadest sense of what I think I've learned and what I walk away from the book of Revelation. Okay, well, I've got two questions. Um, first of all, uh, you said the 666. I'd like you to make a remark about that or your comments about that. And then I have a second question for you. So um, the 666, what have you learned about it? I only bring that up because that's always something that uh, kind of people are intrigued about, and there's a diversity of opinion about it. A lot of people, uh, a lot of uh, scholars uh, interpret that as the Emperor Nero, um, and uh, they they do that based on a uh, uh, turning letters uh, of the name into numbers in a process called gematria, and uh, and so they can conclude by taking the letters and spelling his full name out that that means 666. Um, and so that's one view, kind of a popular view along, among some scholars, but that, that's really not correct. And so <clears throat> one of the things that you have to understand is it's more it, not... Um, number and letter based, but it is based on numerology. And so I've, I've done uh, a review and a study of all of the numbers that are used in the book of Revelation as well. Six itself represents an imperfect number because it's one short of the perfect number seven. And so if you take six and there's three of them, three also has a significant meaning in the uh, in numerology, uh, three representing the Godhead, perfection, and things of this nature. And so if you take a perfect number three and combine it with an imperfect number six, what you end up with is perfect imperfection. And that's what the beast represents, and that's why you have the three sixes. But then you have to go beyond that, because that in and of itself is still a symbol that is representative of something else, and it's basically a representation of the kingdom of Satan and his perfect imperfection. Very good. There is a whole... Um 
school in Judaism of this numerology. They're up in uh, just south or just south of Nazareth. But yeah, they they take every word and get it to numbers or numbers to word, and it's very fascinating. It's always um, something that is um, I, I have found interesting and have done some light studies with numerology and the scriptures and um, some of the things that you've mentioned I I have run across also. Well, let's get to the, to me the most important part, and you've already alluded to it, and that is Jesus Christ. What have you learned about the Savior by your studies of the Revelation of the Book of Revelations? Well, there's uh, again, you kind of take a look at it on uh, on kind of a uh, microscopic level, and you go to a macroscopic view of his life. And so, uh, I, I've learned so much about him uh, panoramically from the earliest beginnings uh, to the end. Um, and uh, I think that um, what I've learned most of all is how uh, he continues to be a guardian of his kingdom that began way back in the premortal existence all the way to completing the work at the very end and so um, I've studied his life and so what my book includes as I said it's it's not just a a commentary verse by verse but it is also doctrinal so in, for example, in Revelation chapter 12, when you get into uh, a study of the premortal existence where we have the, the woman that is identified and she gives birth to the man-child, um, and uh, we, of course, recognize that uh, that has to do with Jesus Christ in a premortal context. And so in order to really understand that, you have to bring into the context of uh, the book of Revelation, what we as Latter-day Saints know from books like the book of Moses and the book of Abraham that teaches about the Grand Council in heaven and his role um, in the uh, pre-mortal existence when he was selected to become the redeemer and the uh, creator of this earth. And so uh, my study of these verses that in the context of Revelation are shrouded in uh, symbolism, it, it's really opened me up to a complete study of his entire existence. Um, and uh, from that, I am able to see his ascension from the first begotten son of the Father in heaven to his ascendancy to become a god in the premortal existence, to then condescend down to this earth to live as a mortal being and to be crucified as a god as a part of the infinite atonement, and then to to track his uh, his life in the postmortal existence and his postmortal ministry, where he teaches about the temple ordinances, and then of course through the restoration. John talks about all of these things. Verse Everything that I've just mentioned, John talks about him, and if you just look at the symbolism in the correct way, you say, oh, that's what he's talking about. Yes, that is a lot. Um, I think as I'm listening to you, um, uh, I've read several books on the book of Revelation. There's the two brothers at BYU, and I can't remember their, their names right now. I'll... Perry. 
Uh, last name is Pierce. yes 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 thank you and uh, I, I found it interesting and um, to me when someone like yourself mentions the book of revelations and all the things that's in there I, I would think any member of the church would go my goodness I've got to get back and read that or maybe read it for the first time <laughs> I, I I often wonder if members of the church and I don't know it's just been a, a thought I've, I've had that um, there are certain scriptures that members of the church skip. Um, um, Isaiah and the Book of Mormon, there's those uh, uh, chapters there that um, it's uh, people just say, well, I'll come back to it. They mean well, I'll come back to it. And um, Joseph Smith also said that Isaiah was an easy book to, to read. And um, <clears throat> so I think, and again, it's just my thought that the many members when they get kind of toward after they read Jude and they start reading revelations that they uh, kind of go, well, maybe I'll, <laughs> I'll come back to it because on the surface, it is very uh, symbolic. And that's part of the, I guess the challenge in that book, isn't it? Is the symbolism in there? It is. Uh, but if you, if you just will understand that well let me back up just a little bit so you have daniel a lot of the uh, the writings and imagery in uh, in the book of revelation from john has its allusions back to and foreshadows in the visions of daniel and so when daniel gets done basically writing his visions about many of the same topics that john is discussion uh, daniel was told now nah, we got to seal these up because they're not going to be revealed until the end time and uh, then John repeats and of course we know the the story of uh, Nephi in uh, in first uh, Nephi 14 where Nephi starts to see the same vision that John had and the Lord told him well you can't write that because John's supposed to do that and so you have all these prophets writing about the same thing and then along comes John and he writes down everything in panoramic view from the beginning to the end and the purpose for John was he was the guy foreordained and reserved to do that um, and now it's incumbent upon us as Latter-day Saints to understand it. The Prophet Joseph Smith said, you know, the Lord will never hold you accountable for any symbolism or, or any uh, sign, and that's not the right word, but the symbol uh, unless he also gives you some kind of a, uh, uh, a, a revelation that helps you understand its meaning. And I paraphrased the prophet very poorly, but that's in essence what he said. Well, then along comes Joseph Smith in the 77th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, and he gives us a key to understanding the book of Revelation with his little uh, Q&A with the Lord telling me, what does that mean? What does that mean? And so he then gives us the key to understand the book of Revelation, and now we're accountable for it because we got everything that we need to understand. And people today have all these questions about what's going on in life. Uh, what are all these signs of the times? So uh, we find things happening in the world that seem to be progressing at a at a rapid, if not exponential, rate in terms of rising wickedness and uh, commotion and men's hearts failing them and the 45th section of the Doctrine and Covenants kind of stuff. And uh, and the Book of Revelation really provides all of the insights and information you need to understand the last days and exactly what we're going through today. 
So you're seeing uh, the things that have been happening here, I would even say over the last 10 years, uh, you see it in the book of Revelations. I do personally, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and by your understanding of the book of Revelations and as these things happen, uh, such as COVID and uh, the things that are even going on within our government and the um, segregation of uh, people and things like that um does revelation the book of revelations help you have some peace with what's going on or uh, can create more anxiety well if you are prepared you shall not fear i mean if people aren't where they need to be in their spiritual lives and in their testimonies of the gospel of jesus christ and and living every day like it was uh, their last, then I suspect that it would create some anxiety. But for those who are prepared, um, it should not create any kind of anxiety. We, we in, as Latter-day Saints, we have a completely different view of our lives, our purpose for our lives, and uh, what this uh, life was in really intended for. You think about the, uh, the saints in the early church um, who faced so much persecution and martyrdom, which John talks about in the book of Revelation. Um, and, you know, they lived through a time that basically is a foreshadow for what still lies in the future. Um, we have the entire Book of Mormon and all of these wars and, and everything going on. And people ask what, when Nephi gives the, the charge that don't write anything unless it's really important and sacred in this book because we don't have much room on the plates. And then they spend chapter after chapter after chapter talking about these wars and, and uh, uh, great individuals and inspirational people like Captain Moroni and Helaman and the twelve, the 2,000 stripling warriors. Why is that all? How is that important? That's because they're telling us about our future that was preserved for us. And John talks about the same things in the book of Revelation, how we as individuals in our spiritual lives can be prepared to uh, have confidence and faith and what John describes as the patience of the faith, uh, the patience of the saints. Um, and so I find a great sense of comfort in what I read and understand in the book of Revelation, even though it paints a pretty ugly picture when you start thinking about things like uh, armies amassing of 200 million people in the Battle of Armageddon. Yes, that it could be very frightening. H have you been to Israel? I have, yes. Okay, so uh, you've seen the Jezreel Valley where the Battle of Armageddon is to uh, take place. Yeah, we stood up there on Mount Carmel, which is on the northern end of it, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's beautiful, but... Uh, yeah, that's the place. Yeah, I would stand up there myself and um, just think of uh, uh, what's to actually take place there. And it's just, um, it's, I don't know, it, to me it's kind of awe-inspiring. Well, I'd like to get into the scriptures uh, even more. You personally, how do you approach the scriptures? And, and Well, let's start with this. Uh, um, what is the best time for you to study the scriptures? Do you have a certain time? Well, I've been devoting myself pretty much to the what we've been talking about. So my time is I get up early in the morning and I probably um, study for two to three hours 
in a morning um, on what we've been talking about. Um, I, I go to work, and uh, then in the evenings I continue my studies. And you know, I I own my own firm, so I'm my own boss, and I can, if I've got time, I I will also study during the day. So I find myself anywhere um, studying from probably at least five to six hours a day. Wow. And do you only look at the um, Book of Revelation, or are you in the Book of Mormon also, or how does this take place? Yeah, my my main focus right now is just trying to finish the work that I've been doing. It, I, I, you know, because of the um, nature of it, it's a topical study, and so I mean, I'm studying everything in every one of the uh, the four standard works, and as well as. Uh, um, looking at what uh, general authorities are saying in conference reports and uh, other places, so I, I do electronic searches and uh, and do that as well. So I don't read the Book of Mormon every day just to to read it um, to to get through it, um, but it's kind of incorporated in my studies. Now, do you use the Gospel Library at all? You know, some. And, and the reason I say some is because it doesn't really have a very good search engine, has been my experience. Um, and uh, so while I do, I tend to um, use other things that uh, are available to me. And uh, I actually, you know, the Deseret Book used to uh, produce a... Um, a scripture, like a 4,000 volume kind of thing. I think the latest last time they did that was in 2006, and I have that. So it has about 4,000 different volumes of materials on it that uh, are accessible right on my laptop. And then they went to, they, they got rid of that in around 2006 and switched it over to using it more like in the gospel library. So I subscribed to it, but what I found was that the search engine on it just isn't that great. And <laughs> I have to tell you a little story. Um, they, so when I was a stake president, they would, uh, I would have general authorities that would come out for state conferences, and uh, you know I would always chat with them. I say, can can you work on getting the church to improve the uh, search engine on the gospel library, <laughs> <laughs> and encourage them to do that? They just kind of look at me a little cross. I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I agree with you on the gospel library. Uh, the search engine is very poor. Um, I teach a class in the, on how to use the Gospel Library. And, uh, yeah, now I use the Gospel Library, but um, you were also referring to Gospel Links, um, which is, I believe that's what you were referring to when you said 4,000 yeah, books. The, yeah, yeah and, that was the successor to what Deseret Book used to put out on a, yes. on a CD that you could buy. Yeah, and I learned that Gospel— because I teach a weekly class to senior missionaries on, on how to use the gospel library and, and things like that, and technology in general, um, I, I would refer them to say, one of the things you should look at is gospel links. It's, it's not the answer to everything, but it's quite good. Um, and there are, it's, it's a better search engine than the gospel library. And um, found out that uh, you can no longer subscribe to it that the people who subscribed in the past still have use of it. <clears throat> and in fact, I even called them and I said, how come you're not charging me anymore for its use? And they said, well, we've put it on hold and the people that um, 
um, had access to it, we're still giving them access. And I keep waiting for them to um, improve upon it, but I haven't seen anything moving in that direction. Yeah, and I, I wish I knew the answer to it, but uh, it, it's just, uh, at any rate, it's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Do you use the corpus of LDS um, general conference talks? I, I'm it, not familiar it, with that term. I mean, I, I've been on LDS.org to do, uh, you know, to look up conference talks and things like that, but I'm not sure I'm what I'm thinking is what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah, The um, looks like the website is... I'm bringing it up now, is lds-general-conference.org. Um, and uh, that is an excellent source I have found. At least it, it, it brings up word frequency is what it does, and it goes all the way back to 1850, 1851, I think, um, where the Gospel Library, the search only goes back to 72 and um, then there is, do you use the uh, citation index? Uh, again, I'm not sure. Are you, st are you still on that same website you just referred me to? No, that, that would be a different one. It's, um, in fact, it's an app. It's, it's an app, but they've stopped updating the app. It's done by um, two, um, two people uh, at BYU, and um, it's just called the Citation Index, but it's also a website. And uh, they, they have, um, they go back in the conference talks to 42, but it's got a good search engine on it. It's okay, yeah, so I would, that'd be interesting, because I have, uh, on the uh, CD that I have, I have all of the conference reports and uh, enzymes up through 2006 with that really good search engine, but it's after that that I get into trouble. Yeah, well, I will... Um, I will get that to you. Yeah, that'd because, be great. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's two sources there. Okay, well, um, my goodness, you spend a lot of time studying the scriptures. Of course, like you said, you're in the process of writing a book. As a stake president, when someone came to you with a problem, did you normally turn them to the scriptures? Yeah, a lot of times, yeah. I, I, I you know, there's so many things. Um, just as an example, um, you know, I, I get a couple that's struggling um, um, and, and have done counseling. I was a bishop for seven years as well. Um, and so people come in and they're, they're struggling. And one of my favorite uh, things that I would talk about is that Thursday night before Christ's crucifixion where the Savior announced to the Twelve that one of them would betray him. And uh, all of them in uniform kind of said, Lord, is it I? And uh, I use that as an illustration in people's lives where people are in conflict with each other. And uh, I uh, say, now, it would have been easy for them to point a finger at Judas and say, he's the only Judean among us. He's the guy that's always complaining. He's the guy that's the, that's the thief and steals money out of the money bag. And, and so it would have been easy for them to point a finger. And yet they, they looked at within themselves and said, Lord, is it I? And I use that analogy in, the, in the, the situation of a couple that's in conflict and saying, now, 
wouldn't it be better if we could all be like the disciples and when the conflict comes up, look within ourselves and then accept responsibility for it because then you have the power to change. But if you assume that it's the person on the other side, you have no power to change. So I use that as an illustration, but that I think is a great scripture that allows you to incorporate that into everyday life. Well, thank you. I never thought of it that way. Thank you. Well, we're nearing the end of our time here together, and um, um, I always ask my guests if they would mind bearing their testimony. Would you mind doing that? Sure, I would, uh, I would be glad to do that. Um, I've had a, a testimony um, as long as I can remember. I don't ever remember a time in my life when I didn't have a testimony of the restored gospel of uh, Jesus Christ and the prophet Joseph Smith in the Book of Mormon and uh, in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, uh, my testimony continues to, to grow as I continue to study and I get more information about the life of the Savior. And I'm going to diverge just a little bit here. And uh, I remember an occasion when I was on my mission and there was a, uh, a mission president's seminar uh, that was held for the 14 uh, mission presidents in Western Europe. And the, uh, um, the presiding authority at the conference was Elder Bruce R. McConkie. And so this would have been back in about 1980 when I was still a young missionary. But I had the privilege of going to the uh, conference and being part of the conference. And <clears throat> as he got up one night to talk, um, he said, I have made it my life's mission to know more about the Savior Jesus Christ than any other mortal living upon the earth. And, you know, we know Elder McConkie, and I think as outside observers of his, uh, his talks and him and uh, the many things that he's written, you, you got to believe that he accomplished that mission. Um, now, I've never made it my goal to know more than any other mortal about the the life of the Savior, but the more I learn, the more I come to know that He was the creator of this earth, that He is my Savior, that He is my Redeemer, that He is the hope of Israel, and that through Him and by Him and because of Him, I can go back and live with my Heavenly Father and be with Him again. Um, and be a joint heir with him and all that the Father has. I'm just absolutely convinced that that's true and that's what I believe and that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ offers to us. And so that is my testimony about the Savior Jesus Christ and I uh, express it humbly in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. <laughs>